0: Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. You may be seated. Again, welcome to KBC, welcome especially. It's good to have you, Milan, Zanka. It's great to be with you again. Uh, got to be over with, with them uh, this past summer. It was a joy to see sort of what they're doing and all that God's doing through them. Got to bring Emmett with me. That was kind of a fun little bit. Got to stay in their shed. So if you know anything about me, building my shed, a lot of that, like I'm like, oh, they got a better shed. Like I got to make a better shed too. This is great. So that when people come over, they can stay. The shed's not ready though, so you can't stay yet. Again, welcome to KBC. My name is Jesse. I'm the pastor here. Uh, I serve on the elder team. It's, it's good to be back with you. Good to be back up here. Good to be uh, in a new year together and to be starting a new series as we continue in our trek through the gospel according to Matthew. That's what we've been through, uh, going through in the Advent season in Matthew uh, 1 and 2. Really great that Ted took us through Matthew three, and four in the last couple weeks, now that we get to pick up in Matthew chapter five. And, And to do so with this series that we're gonna call Upside Down Kingdom. Because this is where the king, in a sort of king's speech, lays out for us what living in God's kingdom, under God's king, looks like which happens to look very different than living like this world. And you could even say, almost say, that it's like living upside down. Or maybe better, like living right side up in this upside down world. Jesus is going to talk about all sorts of stuff in this king's speech, which has traditionally been known as the, the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to talk about what kingdom life looks like when it, when it comes to money and sex, anxiety and generosity, relationships and rewards. But he begins with what it looks like to be Blessed. And that's what we're going to look at today, what it looks like in the, the kingdom of God, living under God's king, to be blessed. And if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to where Jesus lays that out in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse And if you have a a, a Bible, you can follow along with me as we focus in on this today, specifically at verses 1 to to 10. But for a little context, let me read for us, beginning a a few verses before that, from verse uh, 23 in chapter 4. And you can follow along with me as I do that. Again, as we we read from chapter 4, verse 23, through to chapter 5, verse 10. This is God's word. It says this. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we jump into this series on this upside-down kingdom that that your son, King Jesus, inaugurated, I pray that you would be with us to open up our eyes to see that, in fact, that upside-down kingdom is really right-side up. And I pray that beyond seeing it, you would give us the grace to live within it, right side up in this upside down world. And I pray you'd do it through the power of the one who got up on that mountain and spoke about that kingdom through King Jesus himself, lived in it the best, lived in it the most on our behalf. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I have a question to start with today, and it's a pretty simple question. I don't know if, if, if you even have an answer to it or you have to think a bit about it, but this is a question. Have you ever met God on the top of a mountain? Have you ever met God on the top of a mountain? And I don't mean the, the sledding hills down at Hopkins Park or, or on Airport Road, I mean a real mountain, a real high mountain with its peak above the clouds and its slope reaching to the sky and its top almost touching the heavens. Closest I've ever been was out west in the Grand Tetons of Wyoming where out of the flatlands carved by by God's glaciers, the mountains crest to more than 5,000 feet high. And taking the gondola up to the, the top, you, you ride to above the tree line and and you actually rise above the cloud line, and you feel that in some ways by the end, like, like you are pretty close to crossing into heaven itself, like you 're getting pretty close to meeting God Now I know that 's a hard thing for us to imagine here in Illinois, but but it's not so hard for those who are more familiar with mountains, nor would it have been for anyone in the ancient world. Because mountains were, in fact, where you went to meet God. Or at least, to try and get to God. After all, think of ancient Greece with its, its almost mythological Mount Olympus where Zeus himself had made his home, along with his Olympian deities, on a mountain. Think of Olympus, or or think of Delphi. Do you know Delphi, with its famed oracle of Apollo, on the the side of Mount Parnassus? Considered by many to be the navel of the world on the side of a mountain. Why? Why? Because if you wanted to get to God, or to the gods in this case, you would go to where our world touched theirs, to the mountain. Which is why, if you're interested, the people of the the one true and living God always seem to struggle with mountains themselves. Constantly setting up, if you know the stories, altars on every high hill, constantly trying to find a mountain that they could ascend to get to God on their own, which in one sense was understandable, except for the fact that that this God, the one true and and living God who created the world, happens to be a God that, that you can't get to on your own not by building a tower with your hands or by climbing a mountain with your feet. Because the only way you can get to this God is if this God comes down, which is really what the story of God's people, the history of God's people is all about. When rather than go and try and meet God on a mountain, God came down and met God them this is the history of god's people after all think of where that people began when when they became a people when they were led out of slavery in egypt and baptized through the waters of the red sea when when after they had been tempted in the wilderness they were led to the foot of a mount called sinai you remember the story And it was the Lord who met them there and gave them, through a man named Moses, his law, laying out for his people what it would look like for them to live under him as kingdom priests, God said. Under him as their king. So that in a sense, rather than need to to go to the mountain. From that point on, the mountain would go with them. The same God making his home, not up there, away from them, but but in a tent, in a tabernacle, in a mobile temple in their midst. Interesting, right? It's the story of God's people sad part is God's people in in the long run refuse to live under God or or live for God and instead decide to live only for themselves. And so like Adam and Eve before them not living for God eventually lost the privilege of living with God and having God live with them. Do you follow? Which must have made for some moment, right? When through another after we're coming up out of Egypt and and being baptized in the waters himself and being tempted in the wilderness, though this time for him not giving in to temptation. That's what we've seen in Matthew so far. It must have made for some moment when God met God's people again on the side of a mountain and gave them once more, as we're going to see in the coming weeks, gave them once more his law. So this time his law fulfilled. But did it now, not through some man who was simply some second Moses who, who came to tell us how God might dwell with us, but did it through a man who was born to be and and dwell in our midst as the with us God. Must have been some moment. And that's the moment that God has graciously seen fit to have recorded for us here in the gospel according to Matthew. That we might, in a sense, reading these pages, reliving that moment, meet God on that mountain for ourselves. That we might, in a sense relive it again not in a mere man but in the god man jesus christ the one born god in the flesh who who came to speak not just for god but as god and to be god's king and to establish god's kingdom and to spell out for us in the the this sermon on the mount what living in that upside down kingdom is all about or maybe better we could say To spell out for us what it looks to live like right side up in this upside down world. And that's going to be the focus of the next 14 weeks leading up to Easter. this, This sort of crash course that Jesus gave from the mount on Kingdom Living 101. But I want you to notice today in these opening verses... That when Jesus sits down and opens his mouth and begins to teach his, his would-be disciples who, who came to him out of the crowds, see it there in verse 2, I want you to notice that rather than tell us what we're to do as members of this kingdom or do to, to become members of that kingdom or, or, or what we're even to be for that matter, Jesus begins by telling us what members of this kingdom are. Because that's always how it goes in this thing that Jesus set up. Being always starts before doing. So Jesus lays out for us here what what members of this kingdom are. and, And that's for the simple reason that being is the foundation of doing. And being a, a part of this kingdom doesn't start with what we've done for the king, but with what the king has done for us. Or at this point in the gospel, what the king will do for us. So let's look at what, according to Jesus, the members of this kingdom are. First, in relationship to God, and then in relationship to others. That's how these eight statements in verses 3 to 10 break down, even grammatically if you, if you really dig into the details. The first four, working in on, on our relationship to God, describing those who are blessed in, in relationship to God. And then the second four, working out from there when it comes to our relationship with others. First, with our relationship to God. Notice in verse 3 that the members of this kingdom are described as the poor in spirit. That these are the ones who are blessed. That, That these are the ones who've found favor with God. That's what it means to be blessed. Found favor with God. The poor in spirit. The ones who are spiritually poor. Who while oftentimes economically poor as well. Just sometimes goes with the territory. Are those who, one way or another, realize that in and of themselves, they have little to nothing with which they might bargain before God before they realize that, that 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 in God's economy, they realize in God's economy, they're not the ones who come to God's market with a wallet full of cash. Right? You ever show up and and not have money to buy anything. Our kids experience that all the time. We bring them into a shop. They've got nothing. They have nothing. No credit card with a a, a credit line that's worth anything. No, no, they're spiritually bankrupt. And they're poor to the point that that their account isn't just at zero. it's, It's overdrawn, right? And they're so poor that they've got checks bouncing left and right can't even afford to go to McDonald's or get the four-for-four four at Wendy's. Some of you who are poor, you know what I mean, right? That's where we go, and it's tight. But rather, what? They realize that their only hope of a, a decent meal in God's kingdom is if the king steps down off his throne, lifts them out of their poverty, and gives them what they can't afford themselves. It's like when our, our baby crawls over to the couch and wants to get up. She she doesn't try to, to get up herself. She can't. So what does she do? She, she puts her hands in the air and cries for help. Right? This is spiritual bankruptcy, knowing we can't do it ourselves, and we just point to her and, and make fun of her. No, we don't do that. We reach down and we, we pull her up, right, with us. We do what she can't, right, because she can't. And that's precisely what God does in Christ, isn't it? Because like Jesus says, in God's kingdom, these are in fact the ones who are blessed. Because as he says, blessed are the poor in spirit who realize nothing to thy throne I bring, simply to your Christ I cling. Who, As one other says, as those with a full... There there are those with a full, honest, factual, conscious, and conscientious recognition before God of their personal, moral unworth. Who who, who from the the outset of even this Sermon on the Mount, this is important to get right at the beginning, who from even the outset of this Sermon on the Mount realize that in and of themselves, they've got no resources to, to put into practice any of what Jesus is about to call them to. And yet, these are precisely the people Jesus is addressing. These are the ones. He's he's calling to that because theirs, he says, is the kingdom of heaven. Now, notice that. Now, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, even as they wait for the not yet. Notice all the, the other promises in the passage are future, right? the last one. It comes back to, to the first. But, but this one is already fulfilled. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Really? you got to ask that, right? Really? Blessed are the poor in spirit. These are the ones to whom the kingdom belongs? Yes, Jesus says, the poor in spirit. But likewise, verse 4, are those who Mourn. Blessed are the ones who mourn. Not that they always mourn or are always found mourning, but that, they, that they're always ready to mourn. Over what? Well, to begin with, their spiritual poverty, right? To mourn over their spiritual poverty, who, like a guy named Isaiah, started out on a, on a pretty high horse working for God, but who, coming face to face with the holy, holy holiness of God, had nothing left to say but what? Woe is me, for I am lost. Not unlike a guy named Peter, who when he realized he was out fishing with the God who made the fish and had every right to make him fish food, fell down at Jesus' knees and said what? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Blessed are those, Jesus says, who mourn. First and foremost, over their own spiritual poverty. And beyond that, you could say, are those who who mourn over the spiritual poverty of our world. Because as much as we can't do anything about the brokenness in here, in and of ourselves, we can make even less of a dent in the poverty out there. But blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Just like Isaiah foresaw. That King Jesus would show up to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he says, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Which is what living in God's upside-down kingdom under God's right-side-up king is all about. Where the the blessed aren't those who are snapping Instagrams of the latest six-pack they're about to down as they drink themselves into a stupor. No, but rather, those who aren't afraid to, to look at the worst of this world and weep as they let it drive them to Jesus. He says in verse 5, blessed are the meek. Which is something, right? When the whole world around us is saying blessed are the ones who go after what's theirs. And get what they can for themselves, who, who, who get while the going is good before there's nothing left to get at all. No, Jesus says what? Blessed are the meek, the humble, who, who not only recognize their spiritual poverty and, and mourn over it, but out of that spiritual poverty actually rest in God and live in dependence on god who have been humbled by, by both the courts of God and as they've been humiliated within the kingdoms of this anti-God world. Blessed are the meek who, who don't go around reaming out everybody else to establish what's theirs, but like Martin Lloyd-Jones said, are those who leave everything, ourselves, our rights, our cause, our whole, our whole future. In the hands of God. Blessed are the meek. For what? For they, Jesus said, shall inherit the earth. Which was a promise stated as far back as Psalm 37. But if you go back and look at that, Psalm 37, was you'll see that it was speaking about the day God's people would be brought back to God's land. They shall inherit the land is what it says. Here though, look what happens in Jesus Look what happens when these promises of the old are are wrapped up in the king of the new. It's not just the land, and it's not just the people. It's anybody and everybody who is humble enough to be found in this king shall inherit what? The whole earth. It's got to at least a little bit make you wonder if it's worth going after this earth today. Right? It's got to make you wonder, because it's like picking first in a round of white elephant. You know what I mean, right? It's like picking first in a round of white elephant. It never works out for the guy who goes after the good stuff to begin with. Why? Because somebody just comes around after and steals it. The $50 Starbucks gift card is not going to be in your hand when it's over. You're only going to be left with, with with some guy's grandma's candles that, that he forgot you were even doing a white elephant so he ran over and wrapped them up and that's what you get. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. But rather wait on the guy who's going to in the end, divvy it all up himself. Jesus finally says, when it comes to our relationship to God, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Who despite the spiritual poverty and their mourning over it, and their meekness before God, yet yearn for their lives, and their lives particularly, then outside the rest of the world, yearn that their lives would be made right again, and that they might ultimately live rightly before God. That's what righteousness means here, and and we're going to see it again and again and again in this this Sermon on the Mount, that they hunger and thirst, not just for the imputed righteousness of Paul or a right standing in God's eyes, though that's, that's where this begins, but that they hunger finally for right living under God's law, never attaining it but always desiring it, craving it, longing for it. And Jesus says in this upside-down kingdom, those are the ones who are going to be satisfied. The hungry and the thirsty. That's what it looks like to be blessed when it comes to one's relationship to God. What does it look like, though, second, to be blessed when it comes to our relationship to others? Let me just briefly touch on these last four statements, beginning with the the one in verse seven, in which Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That blessed are the ones who show mercy today, for they are the ones who will receive mercy tomorrow. What's he saying? That those who've experienced God's mercy, which is inherent in what it means to be blessed, that's the precursors, to have received some measure of divine favor already, completely undeserved. We've received something already to be blessed. That those who've experienced God's mercy in that sense will, will surely be those who extend mercy to others and so prove that they are those marked out by God's mercy as the recipients of God's mercy in the future. And that they will surely have it. Because again, in this upside-down kingdom, it's not the ones who, who deserve it that get it. It's not the ones who deserve it that get in. But rather what? The ones who recognize that they don't and then are recognized by how they treat other undeserving folks like them. Because you don't don't earn mercy by being merciful. Rather, mercy towards others grows out of an experience of mercy shown to you out of a recognition that your future with God still depends on mercy going forward. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So likewise, blessed are the pure in heart. For what? For they, Jesus says, shall see God. Those pure in the sense that they live out of a a singular devotion to God. That's the the word in its simplest form, like we would speak of pure gold or pure silver, unadulterated by lesser metals, unstained by foreign objects, untainted by outside influences, pure in the sense that these are the, the individuals in whom God has, has grown by his grace a love for God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. So you find out how they spend their time, it's for the enjoyment of God. How they they spend their gifts, it's for the glory of God. Or or how they expend their resources, it's for the, the work of God. All aspects of life serving a singular purpose, pure. But notice Jesus doesn't just say, blessed are the pure, right? He says what? Blessed are the pure in heart. It's not a surface thing. It's down deep, because this isn't just something conjured up, right, just to, to show off to others. No, it's something that starts way down deep, where only God can reach. It won't be long in Matthew before Jesus is calling out those whose purity is only skin deep. Now here Jesus says, blessed are the ones for whom this goes much further down. You know the song deep, deep, oh deep down, down, deep down in my soul. I love you Jesus, right? Deep, 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 deep down. That's where this begins. For what? For they shall see God. Those who long for him and live for him will someday be the ones who see him for themselves. These are the ones who are blessed just as the, what, peacemakers. Those who make peace, who work for peace. Not just keep the peace, but make it. Like their Father in heaven, go after their enemies. Why? To kill them? No. To bring them close and bring them back and ultimately, if they can, to bring them in. Not that peace is always what we get, but it is what those living in this kingdom go after. Because this is what the king goes after. Which is why the peacemakers, Jesus says, shall be called sons of God. As if to say male or female. This is how the world is gonna know that we've got a family relationship to our daddy in heaven son of a, a son of a, but in this case, in all the right ways, a son of God, that we, we display for the world the character traits of our great maker. By the, the fact that when war is declared, we're not the ones in the fighter jets dropping the atomic bombs in all our relationships. That, that rather we're sacrificing of ourselves for the sake of others. Which is maybe how you think through what it means to be a peacemaker. That peacemakers sometimes, right, go to war, both literally and figuratively. Sometimes it's necessary. But what? They don't go to war ever for themselves. If they ever go to war, they go to war to defend the defenseless. That peace might be the end. Which is why Jesus seems to then make the point in verse 10 that blessed are those who are persecuted. When it comes to themselves, blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But even now, right? Even now, back to to the present reality about who this kingdom and all of its benefits belong to that, even now, Jesus says, those persecuted for righteousness' sake, those, those that Simon and Garfunkel called the, the sat upon and spat upon and ratted on, that even now they are blessed. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Because when it comes to our relationship to God, our relationship to others, this is what it looks like to be counted among the kingdom. We're going to look next week at how Jesus expands on this final statement and what it means and what it looks like even to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. For now, though, let me just leave you with a question. I'll ask it twice. That way you get it into your head. Here it is. Are you blessed? Are you blessed? Blessed. I don't know what you make of it, but I'm not talking here of the like pre-last year Kanye West kind of blessed that he used to sing about or post pictures about on Instagram. I'm talking about the more recent stuff that he seems to be singing about. Whatever you make of that, right? The stuff where it really does come back to Jesus, and you just hope that that sinks in as far as it can with him. That's sort of asking: Are you blessed? First, when it comes to your relationship with God, and then second, right, ask twice, are you blessed when it comes to your relationship with others? First, when it comes to your relationship with God, are you blessed in the sense that you've recognized and admitted your own spiritual poverty before him? That you mourn over it and over the spiritual poverty of this world, that you, you come to God in meekness as the only one who can finally do anything about it? Like a baby, right, who can't pull herself out of the crib or up on the couch? Do you come to God, and and despite all the setbacks of life, do you still hunger and thirst for life to be made right again? Or have you just given in to the fact that, ah, it's not something I can hunger and thirst for anymore. Never gonna happen. Never gonna be my life. Or do you still hunger and thirst for it? Are you blessed in the sense that the, the kingdom of heaven is yours as is the promise of ultimate comfort and ultimate inheritance and ultimate satisfaction, such that the the promise outweighs the pursuit of what will never comfort, never last as an inheritance, and never satisfy. Are you blessed when it comes to your relationship with God? And are you blessed when it comes to your relationship with others? Would you be marked as a member of this upside-down kingdom by the the mercy that you extend now to to those who, who don't in any way deserve it because of the mercy that you'll be extended someday, mercy that you've already tasted, you've already known now in part, need to know in full? Are you one who who walks in a purity of heart, singularly devoted to God and to the things of God in all spheres of life, without a hint of double allegiance? And are you a peacemaker who'd, who'd rather sacrifice themselves for the sake of others than sacrifice others for their own sake? As far as you are able, like Paul will say, live that lives at peace with all men and then goes further than that and seeks peace at a great cost to yourself. I pray that it would be so for me too, more and more. That blessed, we would know the blessings that are to come. If it's not though, and here is the crucial piece as we listen in to this Sermon on that Mount, if it's not, if looking in the mirror, that's not what you see, or looking at life, that's not what you see coming out of you, let me encourage you to look to the King. Look to the King. Because sometimes the the path that we're called to in the Christian faith is a little hard to get our heads around. Dying to ourselves, living for for something later, right? After all, who in their right mind would deny themselves now for a promise of being filled sometime that we don't know when? Our kids aren't the only ones who have issues with delayed gratification, right? But when you look to Jesus, you see the one who... Denied himself all the way from this Sermon on the Mount all the way to the Mount of Crucifixion. And then rose again on the other side. The one who's who's not only tasted these promises for himself, but has secured them on our behalf. Taking on himself the, the spiritual poverty of this world. Mourning for sin when he had no sin of his own. And mourning for those who had nothing but sin. See one who said to himself, "Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and in me you will find rest for your souls, for I am meek and lowly in heart. The one whose hunger and thirst for righteousness, whose mercy and purity and peacemaking is being satisfied even now in the establishment of a new mountain, the very people of God, where God ultimately descended after Jesus did his great work, that now, in the people of God, we are now where God might be met in us. And if that's not you, that you would see it's the only mountain you will meet God in top of that yours would be the kingdom of heaven let's pray Heavenly Father I pray as we continue over the next 14 weeks this trek through the Sermon on the Mount to see what kingdom living is all about to see what kingdom living looks like I pray that even now you'd be working in our hearts as we continue to think on what it means to be blessed 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 in our relationship to you, blessed in our relationship to others, what it looks like to be counted a part of the kingdom. And I pray that even now, looking at that upside-down kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate, I pray that even now this this upside-down world would be in some sense less palatable to us, that we would hunger and thirst for something more, satisfied only in him pray it would be so to his honor and glory amen thank you for joining us for more information about our church please visit our church's website at kishbible.org that's k i s h bible.org